0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teachers. today. My name is Mike, uh, as Jenny said. If I haven't met you before, it's so good to be with you today. I love Father's Day. I'm a dad myself. I've got three wonderful children, and and only three children, I should stress. They're all wonderful. And uh, I love getting up here. If you, if you are a dad here, or a dad-to-be, a big congratulations. Happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day online church. And just let me give you a quick note. If you are here as a dad, you are If you're here with your kids, you are setting them up for a spiritual win. So the stats show that if both parents attend church, about 72% of those kids go on to have a faith in Jesus Christ. And if it's just the mum, it's only 15%. And if it's just the dad, for some reason, it is 55%. There is a particular blessing in parents, but a particular blessing in fathers sowing and investing in. Don't get mad at me. These are just statistics taken (laughs) from... Draw and pull data. But what I want to say to you is this. If you're a father here, thank you for setting your kids up for a win by bringing them into the house of God. And that means that if you are a single mother here, you are doing extraordinarily well with your children, having them in the house of God. So extra props to you because you get Father's and Mother's Day celebrations. And so you should. Now it is Father's Day, which means that I get to lean into some dad jokes unapologetically. I've been limbering up all morning and we're start, no, no, listen, we're starting our new series, Light Years. It is fair enough that I start with a little light humor, right? It is guaranteed to brighten your day. You may feel a little in the dark about what I'm doing at the start, but, you know, you'll feel illuminated at it by the end, I promise. No, no, all right, one real joke before I start. How many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Trick answer, you have to go through several different types because there's lots of different types of Christians. So in the Reformed Church, none, because the lights go on and off at predestined times. In the charismatic church, only one because their hands are already in the air waiting to change the globe. In the Anglican church, there are seven. There's one to call the electrician and then another six to complain about how they like the old light globe better. (laughs) In the Pentecostal church, there's 10. There's one to change the bulb and nine to pray in the spirit against the darkness that is happening in Jesus' name. For the Baptist, there's at least 15. There's one to change the light bulb. There's three committees to approve the change and at least a couple more to bring the curried egg sandwiches. <laughs> For the uniting church, like we are, it's really undetermined because whether your light is bright or dull or completely out, you are welcome. You can be a light bulb, a turnip bulb, a tulip bulb. You bring a bulb of your choice to the Sunday morning service and we will pray over the, in the blessing of the bulbs. And of course... If you're a Lutheran nun, because Lutherans don't believe in change. But that's, that's, I'm, my theory was if I took shots at everyone, no one would be offended because that's how offense works. Light humor for light years. The intent of this series is this is just a mini series to talk and speak into the staggering amount of light that we see in the Bible. It is mentioned many, many times. We need light in our lives. And sometimes we just need light humor as well. And there's a key word throughout the Old and New Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, which is the word phos, which is the word that is commonly used for light and is used in both literal and metaphorical ways to describe both the nature of God and what it means to be a worshiper of God, that is, God is light and those that follow him are bearers of light that's what that word foes means now light is an underrated and essential part of our daily life who enjoyed actual sunlight today that was a blessing from the lord receiving it there's a lot of very pale people here going yes we needed sunlight to help our bodies produce vitamin d and lower blood pressure It's thought to increase release of serotonin, a.k.a. sunlight just helps us feel better. It's a form of renewable energy, for goodness sake. It helps catalyze photosynthesis so we can breathe. And that's not even counting uses for fire and light bulbs and fireworks or natural incandescent illumination like you find in coral reefs. How good is light? It moves faster than anything in the universe. And if you concentrate it enough, it can cut through rock and metal. You need it to see, but bizarrely, if you get too much of it, you will go blind. That is the complex, powerful nature of light. And you don't notice light really until you're in darkness. We notice light today particularly. Why? Because we've been in winter. It's been cloudy and gloomy and raining off and on for the last few weeks. But now spring is coming. We see the light and we notice it more. I remember when I was a teenager having conjunctivitis and waking up one morning and I could not open my eyes because sleep had just totally glued them shut. I, it was terrifying. It only lasted like 30 seconds, mind you, but it's a terrifying experience to suddenly realize you were in the dark. A couple of years ago, my family went on holidays to the Naracourt Caves. Who's been to the Naracourt Caves before? I think the guide does the same thing every time, but they reach a point, they turn the light off and you are in pitch black. You're Eyes open, waving your hand in front of your face, and you can't see a thing. It is, again, quite terrifying total darkness. Or the time that I was in about year five, and my mate Shay threw a ball into the living room light, smashing it to pieces, and I thought that my parents would put my lights out for good. You don't notice light until it's gone. And in the Bible, we see God as being the very origin of light. Light is very nearly the first thing we read about in the Bible, right in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1, God speaks it into being. Genesis 1 verses 2 to 5 says this, it we be up behind me. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light. Day and he called the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. Now, out of the depths of formless pre creation, God speaks light into being. And just to hammer home the point, he speaks light into being days before he creates any sources of light. Before he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the first day, God says, let there be light. Then he just relaxes a couple of days, potters around with some other creation hobbies. Before on the fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars are spoken into being as well. Why does he do this? To remind us of the key point that God is the origin of light in our lives. That's what the Bible is wanting you to know through Genesis. Then the Bible continues this narrative by contrasting light and darkness, figuratively showing God as the God of light and the devil as the prince of darkness, so to speak. In Acts chapter 26, Paul talks about the mission God gave him as being to open people's eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. It's the contrast there again. Now, Paul should know. He talks about turning from the power of Satan to the power of God. Who would know that better than Paul? Why? Because how did God get his attention? Light. He blinds him on the road to Damascus. And how does he blind him? With light. Both the darkness and the light become a key part of Paul's journey. God's light is so powerful that if we get too close to it, it causes us harm. That's the power and majesty of God. But it doesn't stop there. Quick whistle stop tour. Exodus 13, God goes before the Israelites in a pillar of fire at night to guide their way with light. And in Leviticus and Numbers, he gives instructions for light to be forever present in the tabernacle where his presence dwelled. In Ezra chapter 9, the rebuilding of the temple is occurring, and Ezra speaks of it as like light to the eyes that the temple has been rebuilt. And in Isaiah chapter 2, the prophet invites Israel to come and walk in God's light every single verse, an echo of the light that God is in our lives. And then we go to the New Testament. In John chapter 9, we hear Jesus declare himself the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he's turning to his followers and he says, you are the light of the world. So God creates light. He's represented by light. He embodies light in the person of Jesus and sends us out to be the light in a world filled with darkness. Such is the importance of light. One more important verse, Revelation chapter 21. Everyone twitches a little as I mentioned Revelation. Right at the end of the Bible, we get a vision for what the future will look like. A new heaven and a new earth with God's city in the middle of it. And John, the apostle, who sees the vision, writes this. He said that the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. The entire story of God as revealed in the Bible begins and ends with lights. Let there be light, the light of the city of God as heaven invades earth. That is the story of God. It's mentioned well over 200 times in the Bible. It's a story of lamps and rainbows and candles and sunshine and the very glory of God himself. And you think I'm being trivial, but I'm not. Every single one of those is a part of the story of God. So with a legacy of light scattered beautifully throughout scripture, And gloriously in all parts of the Bible, it is only right to ask ourselves a question that kind of sits in front of us as we approach a topic like this. If there is all this light in the world, if God is the originator of light, if our story begins and ends with light, why does it so often feel like the darkness is winning? Why, why, if there's all this light and the Bible has a focus on light, that it is important to who God is and what God's doing in the world, Why does it feel like we're surrounded by darkness at times? Job is a a beautiful book. It's a book you either love or avoid. I love it. In the book of Job, it's in the Old Testament, we hear the grieving words of Job himself. He is a man who has lost everything. He's had everything taken but life itself, not a figure of speech. Everything but life, and I guess a few friends, but if you read the whole book, you'd be hard pressed to call them friends by the end of it. It is a beautiful poetic book, and among the imagery Job uses is that of light. After he loses his family, his job, his health, his home, he sits down in the dust and grieves. It is potent, it is raw, the kind of grief that Job is going through. This is what he says, Job chapter three. May the day I was born perish, and the night that said, a boy is conceived. If only that day had turned to darkness. May God above not care about it, Or light shine on it, which is Job's way of saying, I wish I'd never been born. Job 30, 26 says, when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I looked for light, darkness came. And again, in Job chapter three, verse 20, why is light given to one burdened with grief and life to those whose existence is bitter? Now, I say this in part to help you understand that this is all in the Bible. God models and shows us and gives us permission to grieve and struggle with the things of this world that are painful to us this is not only permitted but encouraged by god he is not afraid of our struggles yeah. and this is dramatic language but it's also familiar it's familiar Because if you've been through that kind of grief and suffering, there is a pretty good chance that you have thought these words before, and although you might not want to say it in casual conversation with a pastor, you've probably said them out loud, maybe with a few colorful words added for extra emphasis, because we feel the deep feelings of our life, and we're meant to. We are emotional human beings. Now, see, friends, I was looking forward to this sermon as being a really light one after an intense series in Live No Lies which was a great series, but, you know, heavy. It's like, great, looking forward to a light sermon coming up. And then I experienced the last two weeks. And for Jen and I, as the pastors of this church, we are so privileged to walk with people through pain and suffering. But let me tell you, we've been getting our steps up this last now. it half. There's been a lot of walking. I know a lot of people carrying heavy burdens. Steph shared a bit about his earlier. Obviously, we've been talking about Willow Watson and what a heaviness that is. And it is a heaviness because the thing about the people of God is we grieve when they grieve and we celebrate when they celebrate. And it is a privilege to walk with people in pain and suffering, but it is also a burden. There's a weight to it. So the last two weeks as I've been walking with people in pain and struggle, As I've been taking Tim's advice to eat my feelings. That was advice, right, Tim? Yeah, good, yeah. Just checking that I heard your sermon correctly. I was ready to talk about the beauty of God's light in our lives and to pump you all up and to go full penty, but it's been so heavy. It's been so heavy for many, many people. And let's be real. Basically, since 2020, COVID has hit our fault for saying that 2020 was going to be the year everything changed 2020 vision everyone making terrible vision statements it was maybe it was our fault but from 2020 they have been heavy years we have all been so aware of how we feel physically COVID emotionally socially politically financially heavy news cycles the world the flesh and the devil pulling at us from all sides it's been a lot and I know I'm not the only one here who has felt it I know from the privilege we have had as your pastors to journey with you that many, many people have walked in that heaviness. Now, for those of you who have had a great month and it's like, oh, my kids just asked me to come for Father's Day. I didn't know it was gonna be this heavy. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We celebrate with Harry as we bless and dedicate Harry to the Lord. That's the kingdom of God. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We mourn with those who mourn. That's what family does. And praise God, this message might just fall into place for you as you see and experience the light of God in your life. But if you haven't, what do you do? What do we do? How do we we see God as the bringer of light into our life at the times when things look dark? How do we receive the peace of God in our wrestle in the dark? How do we see the pillar of God's fire by night in our night? In the Gospels, we hear Jesus' bold cry, I am the light of the world. Now, what he's doing in that one sentence, he's revealing himself as God. The Jewish people, Yahweh, was the word for God, which basically meant I am that I am, or just I am. And so Jesus is declaring himself as God, but he's also declaring what he comes to bring in part. That is, he is the light of the world. He's not just God. He comes to bring light into the world. (coughs) The response of the world was a little bit different. The religious leaders of the day hung him up on a cross to die, cowering in darkness and fear. He took all the sin of the world on himself. And Jesus' response on the cross, yes, he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Always gracious, always forgiving. But for himself, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Quoting Psalm 22, which again gives us permission. If Jesus grieves and calls out to God like this, you can too in your grief. You are allowed to do that. And as this happened, the Bible tells us that darkness came over the whole land. And the Bible tells us the sun's light failed. Darkness extinguished light. Jesus was truly abandoned. And for not just a few hours, but a few days, it felt like darkness had won. And that is how it can sometimes feel for us. The ancient writers called it the dark night of the soul, where we sit in a place of grief and a sense of godlessness like Jesus on the cross, where we go, God, where, where are you? Where are you? I'm longing for your presence. I'm longing for your spirit. Where is God in my pain? A little earlier, Jesus had been speaking to crowds of people, and Jesus had such compassion for them. He sees the crowds, and he sees them, and he says, they look distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. See, they were Jews. They were the people of God, God's chosen people. Yet Jesus looks at them and sees that they lack the presence and peace of God. They, just, they lack something. So in Matthew chapter 11, he makes an offer. And it goes like this. Come to me, all of you who are heavy and weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus saw the darkness and uncertainty of life weighing on people the way he sees it on us today. Distressed, dejected, struggling with the troubles of life and above all wrestling with sin. Sin that threatens to drag us away from God's plan for our life. Away from God's light. Away from God's good vision and down a broken pathway towards darkness. That is the danger of sin. Sin is death unto itself. So he offers a beautiful exchange. He offered one ultimately on the cross, but he offers one to the people right then and there. He says, come, follow me. Follow me. My burden is light. Let me do a swap with you. Where the world offers judgment, I offer mercy. Where sin offers death, I offer life. Where the devil offers darkness, I offer light and life and hope. The promises of Jesus are that I will do an exchange with you. I will take your burdens, and instead, I will give you what it means to be a follower of me. Because, friends, we didn't just need light generally. We don't just need, like, a bit of a wash over the stage, we need light concentrated. We needed light made flesh come to be with us in person. We needed Jesus himself, not just an idea of light. For years, thousands of years, the Jewish people had said the Messiah is coming, and they waited, and they waited. Jesus has come to say, I have come. Follow me. In me you will find life. In me you will find light. In me you will find hope everlasting. It's a promise of God. Thank you, Jesus. We tend to think... And when we get in trouble, what we need is a better plan or even better disciplines. I know I'm guilty of that. And Tim so helpfully split apart the difference between salvation and sanctification for us the other week. We tend to think that when we are in the dark, we can hustle our way out of it, pull up our bootstraps, really get it, get onto it, and we will be able to hustle our way out of the dark night of the soul. But it doesn't work that way when you're in there. Only Jesus can lead you out. Only Jesus can truly lead you out. When you are in darkness, you don't need something that's better in the darkness. You need lights. Friends, you don't need general night lights to fumble your way nervously forwards in the dark of life. You need a saviour to come and rescue you from the dark. And if you are in a dark night of the soul, a time of heaviness, a time of struggle, and you've tried everything you can think of, what I want to encourage you to do is keep turning to Jesus. It is counterintuitive. We sometimes think if we do it once and it doesn't do it for us that we've like solved it. But what I'm saying is day after day, step after step, walk in the pathway of Jesus. Because you don't need a nightlight church, you need a saviour, right. a saviour. Jesus invites you to give up the heaviness of what you're carrying in life and trust in Him as your Lord and God. He's saying, when darkness threatens to overwhelm you, know that I am here, the light of the world. And when you are with me, that same darkness is no longer overwhelming. Now, hear me. It's not that the darkness doesn't exist. God never promised us a trouble-free life. In fact, Jesus was quite specific about the troubles we would have as we live life in this world. But when God is with us, the darkness gets pushed back for a while. It is why you can have peace in the middle of the storm. It's why you can have hope in your darkest moments. And what I find as I journey with people that know Christ so deeply and fully is that they can go through the darkest moments of their life and somehow praise harder than they can on a normal day. Somehow, something deep within their spirit has attuned them to the rhythms of grace that God has for them. And they say, I am now at the point where working hard is not gonna help me and trying something new isn't gonna help me. I just need to follow Jesus and hold on And while he walks me out of this darkness because you may have nothing else, but you will always have Christ. He will always lead you on. Your savior will always lead you home and you will find that he will take you out of that dark night of the soul. That is his promise. That is his promise. He says, I'll deal with the darkness. You follow me in the light. I will deal with your burdens. You carry mine. You just follow me. Let me carry you in your grief, deliver you in your troubles, and save you from eternal separation with God once and for all. Jesus in heaven promises freedom from troubles, promises the presence of God within them. So, church, all right, times have been hard. The temptation in hard times is to just kind of slump into the darkness that at times we're like, oh, it's overwhelming. I'm, I'm gonna stop. I get that. I really do understand that feeling. But the invitation of Jesus is this. My burden is light. Trust me. Follow me. Let me lead you through the valleys and the mountains. I am with you. I will light the way forward and show you where to go. Follow me step by step. Follow me. Oh, I'm just going to run over here. I think I've got an idea. Relax, relax. Follow me. I know you think that's a shortcut. I promise you it's not. Follow me. There have been heavy times in our lives, church. But There are light years ahead. There are light years ahead. That's the promise of God to us. I like to say that the next year will be the best year. Now, I don't say that because I'm just assuming that everything gets better and better. I say that. Because my hope and prayer is intimacy with Jesus is the goal of the people who make up this church. Not to make more money or get a better job or find a spouse or have kids. All of those things are fine. They're good, actually. But any of them on their own will not save you. And then, in fact, you'll lose one of them and you'll find yourself stumbling. But if your deepest goal, your most fervent desire is I want to know Christ more. I want to become more like him. Day in, day out, you can slowly find that the next year is the best year. This is why Corrie ten Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi concentration camps can praise God. Corrie ten Boom praising God for the fleas, Dietrich Bonhoeffer leading prisoners in song on the day of his execution. This is possible. The next year is the best year if our longing, our truest hope is simply the presence of God working in us and through us. There are light years ahead. And Jesus offers an exchange. I believe tonight that some of you need to take him up on that exchange. He offers an exchange of burdens for light, of struggle for hope, of sin for redemption. And he offers mercy and love for all. And tonight I believe God's saying that there are the same God who's declaring that eternal light and life is our ultimate destiny is the same God that is telling you there are light years ahead of you, but it's going to take some kind of response. Because one of the things we like to do sometimes is hear something and write it down and go, mm, yeah, yeah. sometimes I get the, the horrible good sermon pastor, Michael Roberts, don't you dare I, I hate hearing good sermon, pastor because what I want to hear is what's God doing in your life. I hate it. God is calling you to make a change. There's some of you, what, what you need right now is you have been holding bitterly in unforgiveness against somebody in your life. There's somebody who has wronged you and you just can't let go and it's time to lay it down. There are some of you, you have been so busy chasing that dream job, chasing and hustling for it. And it's not that you're not working hard but you're not getting there yet, you need to lay that down tonight. For some of you, you just, you just feel wronged, and it's, you've tried to forgive the person, but the, you can't get past the situation. Jesus says, give me the burden. For some of you, it's medical. For some of you, it's, it's pure sin. You've just got to move past something tonight. Tonight, I really want to lean into this. It's time to lay down some burdens at the front of the church tonight. See, what's traditionally down the front of a church is an altar. And it's at the altar we come to bring our sin and shame, and brokenness, and receive healing—that's the exchange. We give our worst; Jesus takes it on the cross. He's already died for it, and He gives us back forgiveness, healing, and wholeness. It's a journey that starts from the inside out, so it starts with dramatic response. So, I would invite you, if you would, just to stand with me as we come to a close. Of this. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, EncounterAdelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.